it doesn't matter about yesterday or today or tomorrow at some point because that song reminds us that whether it's our past or whether it's our present or what is to come, great is God's faithfulness. Let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you that you are constant, that you are steadfast and faithful, all the things that we want to be, all the things that make us feel safe and embraced in a sense of belonging. We thank you. We pray, God, that as we are here together in this place, that we have worn ourselves with our thin skin so that you might penetrate our hearts and lift our our minds and open our spirits to all that you have to say to us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So it's just been in the scriptural chronology, although we know that that's always a mixed bag, that it's been about 40 days since the resurrection. And it was sheer bedlam and sheer puzzlement and confusion, and still nobody is really sure what was going on. But for 40 days, this Jesus, who was dead and then raised, has been walking among them. The disciples has been talking to them, has been ministering to them, has been teaching them. It's been a puzzlement. His followers, and it's funny because the scripture that we'll read in a few minutes, it says his followers, including his mother and a group of women. So obviously there's enough of them that they even mention them in scripture. But all of a sudden the doors are wide open to who the followers are and who who this will be that will be the ones to carry it on. And in that time, in that 40 days, we've had devastating and wonderful moments. We've had moments where there were disciples walking on the road and talking about why everything that's going on. And all of a sudden, somebody appeared to them, and it's Jesus, and they don't recognize him. And we hear all kinds of reasons for that, but the simple fact of the story is they don't recognize him. Because there's something inside of them that wants it to be as it was before. And in this strange world of grief, they are pushing aside anything different. And they just are talking about it as though they can distance themselves from it and talk about it instead of talking in it. And then we have this other moment where Jesus appears to the disciples and they're like, well, wait a minute. I'm not going to believe it until I touch the holes and put my hand where the gap is in his side. And Jesus appears to them and says, touch me. Go ahead. Here, I want you to touch me. Is that not the strangest situation? Jesus is telling them, go ahead and touch me. And then he says, and by the way, I'm hungry. Give me something to eat. As though to say, I'm human. I have been raised. Jesus is a big one about eating. I, I hope you notice that. After he raises the little girl from the, from the dead, he says, hey, she's hungry, give her something to eat. So I have a feeling he was very aware of his own body and knows that, you know, when, a, when we are hungry, 
We need something to eat, and that's who he was. But something huge is happening here. And even though all of these things point towards, for us, this image of the disciples who are like still clinging to the past, not knowing what the future is bringing. And so they're, they're treating Jesus as though Jesus were who Jesus was before. And Jesus is bringing them up to this brink. He's edging them along. He's saying, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. You're staying. You're staying. And you're going to do incredible things. That's what he's sharing with them. You are going to do things that I've done, even greater things than I've done. He says that. He's shifting this enormous weight, the enormous gravitas that he's carried by himself of the entire salvation story, which is the story of human beings with God. He's shifting it from his shoulders alone onto the shoulders of the disciples and saying, you're carrying it now. And they are digging their heels in and resisting it every step of the way in the same way maybe that we do as the body of Christ because that mantle belongs to us as well. It's been slipped onto our shoulders. But the only difference is Jesus doesn't slip it off his shoulders onto their shoulders. Jesus slips it off of his shoulders so that they all share it together because he's not going to have them walk by themselves and figure this out by themselves. He is bringing and, and in instituting the coming of the Holy Spirit and saying, this Holy Spirit is the spirit that's compelled me. It's the spirit that's gotten me where I am. It's the spirit that dwells inside of me. I'm giving the spirit to you, the same spirit, this ancient Spirit, that is the part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity, belongs to us as well. And he's saying this to disciples. And that they will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do everything that they need to do in following Jesus. So that's where we are in the story. We have gone from Easter to this confusing and mystical and strange storytelling between those 40 days. And we come up to this point. And, and Jesus has taught them all along the way, all about the kingdom of God. That's what we hear over and over again. This is, listen to me, people, Jesus says. This is what the kingdom, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. The kingdom is like yeast. The kingdom is like this. It's like this. And he teaches them over and over again. He says, the kingdom is at hand in his own presence. The kingdom is there among, among them. And he says the kingdom, this is a kingdom not based on power. It's not based on a, a power structure. It's not based on oppression. It's not based on a culture of classes where there's one better or another. This kingdom is where there's ultimate freedom from the deepest captivity of the soul. This is what he's taught them for three years and 40 days. What the kingdom is. And then they had the trial and the crucifixion, and then they had the empty tomb and the appearance of a risen Jesus among them and the promise of a Holy Spirit that will come and provide the power they need to do what Christ has commissioned them to do. That's where our scripture picks up. And this is the first question they ask them. Think about all the questions you might have for Jesus. And this is the question they ask him so so needing for things to be as they were. 
Acts 1, 6-14. When they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Is this the time? And he told them, you don't get to know the time. Time is, is the Father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. These were his last words. As they watched, he was taken up and disappeared in a cloud. They stood there staring up into the empty sky, and suddenly two men appeared. Doesn't that sound familiar? Two men appeared. The angels appeared to, to Mary. Two angels were in the tomb when they looked in. And now these two guys, they get around. And now these two guys, two men appeared in white robes and they said, You Galileans, why do you just stand there looking up at an empty sky? This very Jesus who was taken up from among you to heaven will come as certainly and mysteriously as he left. So at that point, they left the mountain called Olives and they returned to Jerusalem. It was a little over half a mile. They had a little time to think. They went to the upper room where they had been using as a meeting place. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. They agreed they were in this for good completely together in prayer and the women included also Jesus mother Mary and his brothers that's the word of the Lord so that's their first question so now is everything going to go back and we're going to carry on with trying to get Israel to be an independent state is that what we're going to do now Jesus and Jesus just more or less says it's time okay don't worry about that it's time and you're ready, whether you know it or not, and Jesus is gone. And the scripture tells us in that story that the moment was at hand for the disciples to step up into leadership. But there were 10 days between that and between the coming of the Holy Spirit. And that's what intrigues me. Those 10 days, what happens in those 10 days to take them from the, this group of people who were saying, so now are we going to go back and do what we, we thought we were going to do? What takes them from being that to being this group of people who were able to bring 3,000 people into repentance and to giving their life to Jesus 10 days later? That intrigues me. Ten days before Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit promised by Jesus would descend and empower all of them to do what they needed to do. Those days, those ten days, are the in-between days. And the 40 days before that were the in-between days. There are in-between days all over, and there are for us as well. For one thing that marks us, that's, that causes us to step from one place to another, is the in-between. And on this side of the in-between, in the world that they are familiar with, they're more familiar on this side with the power structure and the way it was. Rome's in charge, and 
we need to get out of charge. They, there's a worldview of who they were in the world and why they were in the world and how they were in the world. That was what they thought of themselves. It was how they measured success and failure. It was how God works in the world and how you work in the world. It was what God expects from you. It was their understanding of what's evil and what's, what's uh, holy. What's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. All of those things are on this side of the in-between. And all of those things are changing when we're at that in-between place. It all hangs in the balance on this side. There's a, a very brief scene in Tolkien's trilogy of Lord of the Rings. And it's in the third book, The King Returns. It's the most... It's when I read this years ago, I remember underlining it. I remember going back, going back and reading it over and over again because there was something about it that just captured my attention. And it was a young hobbit. How many of you are familiar with The Lord of the Rings? Okay, so I don't have to explain too much. I'm not going to explain too much. So if you're not familiar, when you leave here today, ask somebody who raised their hand and they'll tell you all about it. But there's a young hobbit in, a, in a, a, a fantasy world named Pippin who is, who is with the great white wizard named Gandalf. And they're waiting for the coming attack of evil non-human monsters called orcs. And there are 1,000 times more of the, those than there are of the hobbits and all of those trying to save this land. And this little hobbit says to uh, Gandalf, it's so quiet. And, and Gandalf looks out and he says, it's the deep breath before the plunge. And that's what the in-between time is. It's the deep breath before the plunge. They're standing on this side of the in-between and all of creation took a deep breath before the plunge as before the plunge into a space of uncertainty. So sandwich, sandwiched here between the celebration of the ascension in which Jesus left his earthly ministry and the sheer and sacred bedlam of Pentecost is this space, this 10 days. So how do we understand this space? There's a uh, folklorist and anthropologist named Arnold Van Gennep. And he first coined the phrase liminal space in 1906. And that's, that was his way of trying to describe that in-between space. And then we have psychology today describes liminal space this way. If you feel that you're anxiously floating in the in-between, perhaps you are in the liminal space. The word liminal comes from the Latin word limens, which means threshold. It is when you have left the tried and true, but have not yet been able to replace it with anything else. Sometimes it's what happens when you divorce or when somebody dies or when you lose a job or you move houses. It's, it's, it's when what you have known to be true is totally deconstructed the wall the bricks of the wall are taken apart and it's before the new comes is built again there's that in between where you're not 
sure of where you belong and how it works anymore because all the rules are different. Everything seems strange. Franciscan brother uh, Richard Rohr sees this place as the, the exact moment that's ripe for transformation. Isn't it incredible that place that is so frightening to us, that place that seems so disquieting and unsettling, is the very place where transformation is, seems the ripest and the most possible. And maybe that's because we keep praying, you know, that our illusions will fall away because it is also a place of disillusionment where the illusion of what we thought was, was forever is shattered. And sometimes God is actually has a hand in that disillusionment because something bigger is reality. And, but we oftentimes get, uh, remain trapped in what we call normalcy, the way things are. And that's where the disciples were. They were trapped there. The way things are, wait, now we're going to pick up where we left off. But if, you, if we remain trapped in normalcy and the way things are, and we don't shift and move, wi even with this, how the Spirit calls us, then life revolves around problem-solving, fixing, explaining, and taking sides with winners and losers. That's what, f that's what life revolves around if we stay, if we stay still in that space. And it can be a pretty circular and even nonsensical existence. So to get out of this unending cycle, we have to allow ourselves to be drawn into a sacred space. We have to allow ourselves the openness to be brought into uncertainty. Just like the figures in the biblical narratives, Adam and Eve on their way out of the garden of these wonderful biblical stories of liminal space. What was ahead? They grieve what they left. They don't know what's ahead, that walking journey. Noah and his family as the first raindrop fell. Abraham lifting the knife above his son Isaac and Moses confronted on a mountainside by a bush that wouldn't be consumed. The Hebrew people standing at the edge of the Red Sea and the God and God's spirit saying, just put your foot in. And it takes that partnership. It takes a willingness to step into the liminal space, to stand in the threshold without the certainty of what is on the other side, for us to be open to the creative mix of what God has in store for us. That transformation takes place on that threshold, in that liminal space. We have to allow ourselves to be drawn out of business as usual and remain patiently in the thresh threshold, in the between and the betwixt, between the familiar and the completely unknown, because there alone is our old world certitudes. Only there can we dismantle all that we're certain about so that God can bring new certainties, more deep certainties, more the deeper and the broader breadth of certainties into our into our lives there alone our old world is left behind 
And it's a very good space when our old world is left behind before the new world is ahead of us. It's a very good space where genuine newness can begin. Genuine newness. And Richard Rohr says, get there often and stay as long as you can. Because in that space, God can work incredible things within your life. It's a sacred space where the old world is able to fall apart and a bigger world is revealed. And if we don't encounter liminal space in our lives, what we start to do is idealize normalcy. And the threshold is God's waiting room. Here we're taught openness and patience, and we come to an expected appointment with this divine healer. I think that one of the unique and necessary functions of religion is constantly to push us into that liminal space, constantly evoke us and compel us into that liminal space. Some native people call the liminal space crazy time. You might call 5 o'clock crazy time. We used to call that the witching hour at my house when my kids were 3 and 5. But this, they call it the crazy time. Because it's a time when you aren't certain of anything and the and the ground beneath your feet is shaking and all you can do is hang on to a God that is faithful in between before after there's no space. But instead a lot of times religion has become a confirmation of the status quo and business as usual and in fact. A lot of times religion goes further than that. It becomes a confirmation. And cheap religion teaches us how to live contentedly in a sick world. Religion should lead us into sacred space where deconstruction of the old normal can occur. Everything is normal, but it's not good. But we'll hang on to no, no good normal before we'll let go and go into something new. We just will. That's the human nature. But much of my criticism of religion comes when I see not only affirming the system of normalcy, but teaching people how to live there comfortably. Cheap religion, as I said, is one that teaches you how to be contented and happy in a sick world. Just as poor therapy teaches us how to accommodate ourselves to a sometimes very small world based on possessions and prestige and power. A good minister will always open up larger vistas, will always say, there's more. And we are active parts of it. We have choices within it. And when you are opened up to larger vistas, the larger vistas that God has in front of you, what it means is that you're going to be part of it, and there's definite risk involved with it. A and it's definitely risky, but it's so much better than just arranging the deck chairs on a sinking Titanic. Th because we can rearrange our lives and make it more comfortable, but the ship is still sinking. So why not, why not a brand new ship with brand new sails? So we step into that liminal space. And whether we step into, into that liminal space because we trust, because we're desperate, or because we have a commitment that is as thick as the bones in our body, 
when we step into that liminal space and we are aware and open and trusting that God is in this to transform our victories and our sacrifices, our suffering, our fears and insecurities, all of these things become tools in God's hands, not caused, but tools in God's hands to shape and refine us while we're in that space. Did that and while we're in that space, how we are partners with God in shaping and refining determines how we're going to meet what we meet when we get out of that space on the other side. Because we will move from the in-between to the other side. So what's on the other side? You know, I really do believe that what's on the other side for us is to be about the business of God's business. Transforming the world with a fierce, relentless, and consuming love of Christ that will take us to any situation in every part of the world that involves bringing hope and newness and life and enlivenment. I think that as a church, that we just might be in that liminal space, the deep breath before the plunge, where we're in that space where things seem like they're changing. We have new people. We have new ministries. We have all of these things that seem maybe to some disquieting, but others exciting. But whatever it is, we know that this trustworthy, steadfast God waits with us in the in-between. If we can be bold enough to step into the threshold and see what God is up to in transforming us. Wow. We are at a moment of possibilities and they're endless. So what did they do? What did they do during those 10 days that prepared them? With the resurrection of Christ's body behind them and the letting loose of Christ's spirit and the raising of the church as Christ's body ahead of them. What about those 10 days? The Bible says only one thing about what happened during those 10 days. It says that in, in one verse, verse 14, it says they, they agreed that they were in this for good. They were committed. Completely together in prayer. The women included. Also Jesus' mother and his brother. So what they did was they held on tight to one another and they prayed. I think that's great advice. Amen. God, we thank you for liminal space, for the in-between, for the thresholds, for those places where we will let go of what has been because it's brought us as far as we can go. And you're ready for something new. And we pray, God, as we step into this space in our lives or in our community lives together, that we might cling to that faithful, steadfast presence that you so graciously and generously provide for us so that we might step out of that space emboldened 
ready for the sheer wonder and bedlam of Pentecost of our own spirits. We thank you and we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.